Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Opposing Points podcast. My guest today is Jennifer Say, author of Ladies Unbuttoned, The Woke Mob Took My Job But Gave Me My Voice. Say began working at Levi Strauss & Co. in 1999, rising to chief marketing officer and then global brand president. In January 2022, she was asked to resign because of her public opposition to the extended closure of San Francisco's public schools. She's a mother of four and now resides in Denver with her family. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Jennifer. And if you do, don't forget to like and subscribe to the channel. Hey, Jennifer, how are you? I'm good. How are you doing? Good. I want to thank you so much for joining. Um, my, the first thing that actually struck me about your book when I read it was the uh, the quote at the beginning of the book, which is, if evil be said of thee, and if it be true, uh, correct thyself. If it be a lie, laugh at it. Um, I, that's such a great quote because so many people are afraid to speak truth, um, even though they know they're correct. So what kind of, uh, I guess you used the pun later on in the book. And when I first started, I was going to use it. But do you think that the courage is in your genes? <laughs> oh, funny. I don't think it is. I really honestly don't. I mean, you know, I, I tried to demonstrate in the book that uh, by by telling some stories from my, my childhood and even young adulthood, that I don't come by this easily, speaking up and pushing back. And, and uh, I was raised in a culture where obedience and silencing um, were the requirements. You know, I, I was an elite gymnast as a child and you were not, not only were you not supposed to speak up, I mean, you were supposed to just do exactly as you were told. Um, and so it's been a journey for me to kind of overcome that upbringing. But if something matters to you enough and you think it's important enough, you have to find a way to do it. And I hope that the book inspires a little bit of courage for everyone. And, you know, you don't have to blow up your whole life like I did to, to stand up, but I think everyone can do it in small ways every single day. Um, yeah, I mean, I think I think it's incumbent upon us, you know, to speak the truth and to ignore the names that we're called because they're a tactic to keep us silent. You know, they're not grounded in truth. And so you just have to push yourself every day to screw up your courage a little bit and um, and say the truth and push back on lies. That's my hope that people get a little bit of courage. And I do think courage begets courage. Yes. You know, if someone else can do it, I can do it too. Mm -hmm. And there were so many opportunities in, in, in your story where you could have just been like, I'm stopping, I'm going to, you know, take, take on this back, like not speak out and I'm going to become eventual CEO. Um, but they didn't seem to like that you were speaking out just about schools being closed. Um, and like many companies today, they purport to care about minorities. And as you point out in the book, a large number of those kids were from minority communities, maybe in bad situations that could no longer go to school. Yeah, exactly. I mean, public schools and urban public schools in particular are disproportionately populated by low-income students. And in San Francisco, where I used to live, 60% of the student population is lower income. They're on free and reduced lunch. It's disproportionately uh, black and brown students. And I don't really think it takes that much imagination or empathy 
to understand that these kids were at home, sometimes in not great situations, perhaps with no adult to supervise. Uh, outside of that, I mean, Zoom school is just impossible. It's not engaging. I think societally, we sent the message to kids that they were inessential and it doesn't take much to assume that they'll then internalize that. And if, if you're not essential and you don't matter and school doesn't matter, it's not important enough to make it a priority, you're just not gonna do it. And you know, we see that happening now with very high absenteeism rates, you know, not to mention obviously the learning loss and the mental health impacts. But I just I didn't understand why people didn't see the hypocrisy in it all, you know, these corporate leaders. Um and pro pro so-called progressives were standing up and saying, we care about you know, Black Lives Matter and they're protesting in the streets. And yet they're willing to send their own children to in-person private school while staying silent on the fact that public schools were closed. I just, the hypocrisy made me nuts. And I thought I could get people to see it. I, I did not succeed really in that. Mm -hmm. But I thought um, by citing data and facts and pointing it out, you know, diplomatically, which I definitely tried to be that I could get people to see it, but, but they didn't. And what I came to realize is that all of this progressive stance taking is really just virtue signaling. Because when the rubber hit the road, they didn't really care at all about these kids. Mm -hmm. um, and these kids matter, you know, and education is the only path to opportunity. I think we all know that. But in the end, these folks just said, I got mine. My kids are in school. Um, I'm not going to worry about these others. And I'm not going to push back on these incredibly harmful and hypocritical policies. Um, and I felt like someone's got to stand up for these kids. So I guess it's me. It's uncomfortable, but it's me. And uh, you you identify in the book as as previously a, a Democrat and now unaffiliated. Um, much of uh, and you also said that you were you were kind of behind a lot of these like increased diversity initiatives and and all these um, you know so called things that the left would typically love. Um, and uh, now you 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 don't identify as a Democrat. As a Democrat. I don't identify as a Republican either. Um, so I think yeah. I think there are um, lots of. Uh, lots of in the middles or mix up versions of people. And, and they like to put you in, in corners, but I think it's interesting um, coming from the side where you, you supported a lot of these things and we support women's ability to like listen to women, but suddenly you have a, a woman who by all stretches of the imagination is an example for other women to use your voice and not back down at the workplace. Um, they shut you down. So like, was that your was that your woke moment, and did it happen slowly or quickly? Oh goodness, um, yeah. I mean, I've been a Democrat or have been my entire life, as you as you mentioned. I guess what I really feel like is these left right labels just don't apply anymore. The whole thing has been kind of mixed up and mm -hmm. tossed up in the air, and. I also don't really think my principles or values changed. You know, I believed in um, what were called progressive values. You know, I believe in true inclusivity and equality of opportunity. And I, I believe, for instance, that our business um, at Levi's 
would and will be better with greater diversity, with more women's voices being heard. Um, because then you're really addressing, you know, in the business world, the, the full swath of consumers. If you only have one kind of person in leadership, you're not really speaking to um, and understanding all the, the viable consumers out there. And so I do believe in increased diversity. But I guess at the end of the day, I realized they didn't really believe in the things that they said. And I did. So I, I mean, I get all the time, you've been red pilled. You, I, I actually don't think I've changed very much. I just wasn't willing to believe the lies that we were being fed, that the, the good kind thing to do was to support lockdowns and school closures, because all of those practices harmed the most vulnerable populations the most. So in a sense, I feel like I haven't changed at all. I just feel like my eyes have been opened that no one else actually meant it um, when they said they believed in these progressive values. And I guess the best, most apt label for me now would be, you know, a true liberal, a classical liberal. I believe in free speech and due process. Um, I am at this point much more skeptical of government intervention. So maybe I'm leaning a little libertarian at this mm -hmm. point. Because, yeah. um, you know, we've seen what happens with excessive government intervention. And it's not, it's not good, you know, and I, my eyes have been opened. And I think this has accelerated in recent years yeah. um, to this unholy alliance between corporations and the government mm -hmm. and the corporations are really carrying out these sort of government dictates and there's no daylight between the two i think we've seen this most clearly um, at twitter of late where you had corporate leaders and mid-level employees and bureaucrats you know taking their cues from democratic operatives and banishing people from the platform who didn't fall in line um, and I feel like this is really dangerous. You know, how do we have free speech when when this is going on? We don't. And to me, that's a core principle of democracy. Right. And you were talking about how they were behind, you know, other issues. But it's it's just interesting that, you know, they, they say like, oh, we can we can. And this goes for all corporations. Like we can take a political stand with this. But the minute you take a stand that is not what they want um, and the same goes with like you know, pride flag logos, they'll, they'll put them yeah. up in the United States, because as a country, we're actually pretty tolerant of these things, but they yes. won't go fly them in other countries that, you know, it's a death sentence to be gay. Yeah, I mean, they won't really put their money where their mouth is. So you have to kind of question, do you really believe in this value? Um, and you're right, you know, in the last 10 years, we've seen every company on the planet um, rainbow flagging their logo during Pride Month. Mm. Um, and yet in countries like, you know, Russia or China, um, you know, kind of pull back and, and, and don't really lead with this message because, because it's not accepted. So I, I just, you know, to pretend that these stances are brave and really rooted in the values that they say they are is a lie. And it's all a bunch of sort of virtue signaling. And I think it's an attempt to capitalize on Gen Z and millennial activism. It's attempt to monetize, you know, social justice stances. 
And I think it also is a means of avoiding any scrutiny right. um, for leaders and corporations because they wrap, wrap themselves in these woke causes and in doing so, avoid any scrutiny. And, you know, I think Sam Bankman-Fried and FTX are the best example of that right now. You know, he said all the right things so that people would like him. Meanwhile, he was stealing billions of dollars. You know, uh, it was an entirely fraudulently run company. And it's weird to me that he's still sort of garnering a bit of respect. I mean, he appeared on stage at the New York Times Deal Book Summit just last week. He got a he got applause. I mean, and it, it is totally related to all of the virtue signaling around the right causes, you know, environmentalism, pre-pandemic planning. These were all the things right. he said he cared about. He was going to give all his money away. He wasn't doing any of that. Mm -hmm. um, and yet we still are kind of giving him a pass. So that's why I think this is all so dangerous and we need to call it out because they don't deserve a pass. <laughs> there needs yeah. to be some scrutiny here. Bernie Madoff was in jail like the next day and at least his investors, some of them got their money back. <laughs> yeah, why isn't the Democratic Party giving the $40 million back? It's said to actually be much more than that. They're not giving right. it back. Right. You know, another another example would be Theranos and Elizabeth Holmes. Yeah. Her sentencing, you know, she was convicted of four counts of fraud. Uh, I think her sentencing just happened in the last week or so. Cory Booker, a sitting senator, wrote a, a letter to the judge with a plea for leniency because he said she was a good person because she was a vegan. So again, you know, all this virtue signaling, this is a woman who stole billions of dollars and you know, built investors, put a product into the market that didn't work, um, which was dangerous because it was intended to identify possible disease for people. It's a healthcare product. Right. Um, and yet there's still a plea for leniency from a Democratic senator because she said all the right things. I mean, it's unconscionable. So now I just feel like it's all a bunch of lies. Uh, I still care about the things I always said I cared about. Mm -hmm. And for me, the five alarm fire is the censorship that's happening. Um, and I think to go back to your very first question, that's why we all need to kind of stand up and screw up our courage just a little bit to, to push back because the only thing that protects our speech is more speech. So you got to do it now before we lose the chance. Mm -hmm. Um, and you you talk a lot about this world capitalism. How has it necessarily infected companies? Um, it seems to have just been a really explosive thing in the last five to seven years. How has that happened? Has it been, you know, people my age or a little bit younger entering the workforce or wh where are they getting these trends? I think that's definitely part of it. You know, we've been hearing about it on college campuses for a very long time, probably over a decade. You know, those young people are now entering the workforce and um, putting a lot of pressure on senior leaders. I don't think that's the only only factor. And I think these senior leaders are kind of afraid of these, excuse me, mm -hmm. kind of afraid of these employees. You know, they don't understand, excuse me, ah, they don't really understand social media, the senior leaders, and they see a few comments and they're terrified. Um, I think much in the same way the political parties don't apply anymore. Um, it used to be back in the day that it was assumed that all business leaders were 
Republicans and that greed was good and that they were there to make money and that was the fiduciary responsibility to the company. Now we see in most companies, large companies, tech companies, for instance, leaders are more left-leaning, they're Democrats, and they actually feel pretty guilty about being so rich and so privileged mm -hmm. because you know these young folks have told them that they should. And so they pretend that that's not why they're in it. They pretend they're philanthropists and altruists and, oh, they didn't really mean to make a lot of money, which is a lie. You don't make billions of dollars without trying. Mm -hmm. um, but they, you know, pretend, oh, I'm just this really good person and, oh, gee, oh, shucks, I happen to make a lot of money, but I'm here to make a difference in the world. Um, and it did just accelerate. Uh, you know, it started happening probably five or six years ago, but I think it really accelerated during COVID and mm -hmm. the lockdowns. Um, I think it accelerated with the Black Lives Matter movement and certain during certainly during the summer of, of 2020, which is when I think the hypocrisy of it all was at a fever pitch. You know, rallies and protests for BLM were okay. Rallies and protests for against lockdowns were not okay. Those were a grave danger. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I think it's a big game and it's meant to get these corporate leaders praise and capitalize on activism and kind of distance themselves from the greed of business leaders of the past. But make no mistake, it's still there. It's right. just another lie. It's all just another lie. Right, right. And... <laughs> It's funny. Um, it, it started at like college campuses, so woke campuses. Then we had, you know, woke companies. And during the pandemic, we got a little bit of woke healthcare, which is, you know, if you're oh, yeah. if you're unvaccinated, um, which could be for any reason, right? Like you could have a medical reason you can't get. You could not have an organ in some places, or you were, yeah. you were not. If you were black or brown, you you were prioritized for a vaccine. And we started getting into this tricky territory of injecting identity politics into saving lives and who we save. Yeah, I mean, I think in a sense, pharma in particular, which I think is a big driver of, of healthcare, it's all sort of intertwined, right? They've always sort of positioned themselves as really values led as an industry. But again, it's a profit driven industry. And I think, you know, if we look at the opioid crisis, you know, which was led by Purdue Pharma, what they really started by saying was no one needs to live in pain. Any pain is unacceptable and we are here to help. Mm -hmm. What sat underneath of that was a marketing strategy that was endorsed by the FDA because, you know, these medications, which were highly addictive, mm -hmm. um, were given a non-addictive label. That was a lie. So you see real regulatory capture here. You see that unholy alliance between business and government agencies. Mm -hmm. And you see this all grounded in a do-gooder positioning, right? No one needs to live in pain. Poor coal miners who work these really hard jobs, you don't need to live in pain any longer. And it was all just a revenue and profit generating strategy. And it disregarded the harms being done to people, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of deaths because of this. And so when I pointed this out, that pharma was in fact profit and revenue driven, and this mass vaccination strategy was kind of part of that, no matter what kind of sheen they put on it, that was yet another thing that I <laughs> got in a whole lot of trouble for. Um, but I think these, you know, leaders and in industries just think if they 
you know, wrap themselves in these woke causes, as you've indicated, uh, they can get away with anything. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah, it, it would be one thing if like, you were the only one saying these things, but like outside of the United States, um, th- things were treated very differently in, in other yeah. countries, the way they did the schooling, the way they did the, the handling of the vaccinations to, you know, men, especially under 18. I think Moderna yeah. was banned in some countries. None of, none of what you're saying is exactly radical. It isn't. It's so funny. Everyone, you know, keeps saying that to me of late in the last week. It's not like what you said was so controversial, but it's hard to, you got to kind of put your mind back in 2020. Um, Right. Anyone who pushed back or criticized any policy put forth by public health, whether it was lockdowns or school closures or, you know, any of it was, was just, vilified and demonized and you were this horrible racist whatever name they could think of to call you is what you were and there was just no kind of room to even ask a question and while it all seems sort of reasonable now the things I was saying because we've accepted for instance that prolonged school closures were harmful there's still no acknowledgement that it was a policy made by actual people and it was bad policy and they sh- there should be accountability for the people that made these horrible policies. And I, I, I should say the press has been complicit in furthering these messages. Um, I mean, the press did not interrogate any of this. They just used government issued talking points as headlines. They targeted parents like me who were willing to stand up as racist. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just... It's so crazy to me. (laughs) And so while there is acceptance at this point that at the very least school closures were harmful, I think without accountability, it's still very possible this could all happen again. I mean, in some places across the country, they're still looking at re-implementing mask mandates for children in schools. Um, There's discussion of short-term school closures because of the flu, RSV, COVID, (laughs) triple-demic, or whatever they're calling it. so this is not behind us, you know, I, I, it is absolutely not behind us. And it is, I, I find your question so sort of interesting. Like it wasn't even controversial. It, it was, I mean, it required uh, unbelievable persistence to keep saying the things I was saying. Yeah. Well, I know it was, was controversial. Yeah. It's I know. I know, like, you know, like when I hear it, I'm like, it's this crazy. is not, this is not insane. This is not, this is actually just looking at what the data you, says and the, it makes yes. sense. And you're, and to, to address your comment about Europe, I mean, that's kind of what was driving me crazy. You had Sweden who never shut um, primary schools ever, not for one day, but yeah. of course the headlines were all, you know, Sweden's experimenting in, in a death march. And I mean, I'm not remembering the headlines exactly. And when Governor Kemp in Georgia opened up the state in the in the fall of 2020, they also said he was just, you know, this was a death march for all the residents of Florida. Of course, there's no follow up and to say, oh, that's not actually what happened. Mm-hmm. Um, in Denmark, they opened schools three weeks after they closed them. They opened them by mid-April because they realized it was just too harmful to the students in that country. And yet here in the U.S., we were pretending these countries didn't even exist. Um, And what's crazy to me now is, you know, 
folks clearly want to distance themselves from these policies. And they say things like, well, we never had a real lockdown. We never really shut schools. I mean, Governor Whitmer is saying we only closed the schools here for three months, which is a lie. Mm -hmm. It's a it's a it's a bald faced lie. Um, or, you know, Dr. Fauci is saying, well, I didn't do it. I didn't shut the schools. No, but you gave cover. You said schools were dangerous and you set guidelines that were so restrictive that schools were never going to open. So if no one did it, why were the schools closed? Who did it then? Somebody did it. The gaslighting <laughs> is more extravagant than the Hanukkah lighting. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, I mean, the gaslighting is, and then all the folks who, you know, demanded that we all stay home and that people like me shut up, they're all saying now they didn't do that. Right. I mean, the, 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 the ability to sort of reinvent the past is sort of astonishing to me. The good news is we all remember mm -hmm. those of us who were there. So one one of the other inspirational things I found out uh, while reading is is you talk and you talked a little bit about the beginning about how gymnastics is a very demanding. Um, you talked about some conflicts um, with your mother at the time when you when you quit gymnastics um, and how nobody stood up for you. Um, and so I want, I'm wondering if there's a little bit of a healing of of that in in you when you stood when you have the ability to stand up um, for for the children that needed you. Yeah, I mean. You know, my for anyone that reads the book, they'll know this. My my history with my parents and my mother in particular is somewhat fraught, but we've always pushed through it and we've always managed to get past it. And I accept apologies from them and they accept them from me. And look, we're all one of the things you realize as a as a parent, and I have four children, is parents are just people and they make mistakes. And um I accept an apology when it is it is granted. Um but yeah, I mean, that stuck with me as I kind of pushed forward in this advocacy. It's like, I wish someone had stood up for me so I can be that person. Children are the most vulnerable among us. They want to please the adults around them. They are not going to complain. And in the case of COVID, they were told, if you do complain, you're a very bad person. You need to do this for the world and for your community. You need to stay home. If you want normal things that kids get to have, if you want to go to prom and you want to go to school and you want to see your friends, you are a selfish, terrible person. So do you really think they're going to stand up and say, hey, this is wrong. I need my life back. No, they've been made to feel incredible shame for even wanting those things. Um, and so I think it was incumbent upon adults to stand up and represent them, but most didn't, as we know. Um, last thing I want to get your thoughts on is um, Balenciaga. Um, it's uh, it's been in the news for a while, obviously, with their with their marketing campaign. Uh, as a as, as a former CMO, what's your take on that? You know, I, I've I've only sort of lightly followed it. I'm trying to sort of distance myself from yeah. fashion overall. I I don't get what they were thinking. You know, now they're saying our agency released this content without our knowledge, which I would say is a lie. That never happens. Mm -hmm. You know, I was a CMO for eight years. I worked in marketing as for 20 years. Nothing went out without someone on my team seeing it or me seeing it, a large campaign. I saw every element. So that is a that is a grand lie. But I think when you live in this bubble, it's like, it's hard. When they were seeing this content, they were being told by their agency it was cool. I don't know how anybody thought that, but that's what they were being told. And you believe it and you lose all perspective. Mm -hmm. 
no perspective. And this is why, to come back to one of your early, earlier questions, this is why internal diversity matters. And you can't hire all people with the same view as you have. So it's not just about racial diversity and gender diversity. It's about viewpoint diversity because some sane person in the room would have said, this is deeply problematic. I would have. Why are we showing? <laughs> yeah, I would have. I mean, I would have said, what the heck are you thinking? We can't show children's toys in bondage gear. We're sexualizing <laughs> children. But in some upside down world, they all saw it and thought it was cute or neat. I you know what, it's really hard for me to put myself in the position of a human that thought that would be I agree. acceptable. But I will tell you this, this distancing themselves from it and saying, oh, that was our agency is throwing them under the bus. And it's a lie. The client approved it. There is no, there are so many opportunities to see the work along the way. You see it in concept form. You see it when it's, you know, shot in actual photographs. The client saw this and said, okay, so that is a lie. Uh, but I, I think it, you know, it's a call for viewpoint diversity in companies because they all just sort of think the same way right now, you know, and I think fashion companies in particular are very left leaning. Mm -hmm. um, you got to kind of open up a little bit and get some folks from different backgrounds that maybe see the world a little differently and you got to listen to them. Don't silence them. They're telling you about where they come from, what they believe that matters. You know, this country is divided down the middle. When you, as a brand, it's bad business to lean so far in one direction that you are cutting off connection with 50% of the country. Right, agreed, agreed. Um, so I don't know what Balenciaga was thinking. I find it all sort of astonishing. I, I have no explanation. I, I don't was, know if I you do. Parody. I thought it was a parody. I thought it was literally just like an SNL scam at first. I was like, there's no way this is real Photoshop. Um, but, but you know what? The divide between parody and real is like- Blurring. It's so yeah. blurred right now. You know, if you watch, I talk about it in my book, um, that skit, there's a skit from, I think 2017, Levi's Wokes yes, that was yes. on Saturday Night Live. And it's so funny. You know, I went back and watched it earlier this year, but it's so close to the truth. Mm -hmm. You know, that could be a real ad, kind of. Yeah, you know? <laughs> it could be. It's so it's, reality matches parody lately. They're, they're <laughs> it's hard to tell the difference, which is why we need to kind of wake up and, you know, find our way back to actual reality. Agreed. And I hope your book um, inspires a lot of people to do so. Um, as I mentioned, uh, the book's called uh, Ladies Unbuttoned. The Woke Mob Took My Job But Gave Me My Voice. It's an excellent read. I did not put it down for the entire day other than meals and a workout. Um, one of the preventative measures for the poor outcome. COVID. <laughs> that was another thing I got in trouble for that. Yeah. You yeah. couldn't say, hey, get out there and get healthy because being overweight or obese is a health risk, not just for COVID, but for everything. That is not allowed. We are yeah. not dealing in reality these days and we're harming people in the process, which is the other reason we've got to demand truth. I've seen some ads from schools for finals that say like, stay healthy, take your bivalent va vaccine and, and all these things. And then not, not, a, and then the next ad will be like, come get some sweets and no, no, no mention of, uh, no get mention some exercise. Yep. Jennifer say, thank you so much for joining. Thanks for having me.